Brothers and sisters, know this, that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." I say this is the word of the Lord. You say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask for your great blessing now upon this time as we have heard your word, as we have sung praises to you. Now speak powerfully into our hearts, we pray, as we seek to humble ourselves once more before you and your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If you would, grab your Bibles. I really appreciate Carrie pointing out the fact that we have Bibles in the back. Uh, There is something about the way in which we have been trained over the past uh, 200 years or so to learn, not just through our ears, which is where a lot of the world learns, but also through our eyes. Uh, And so it's incredibly important here, since we have been given the Word of God written before us, that we take advantage of every opportunity to have the Word before us. So if you will have your Word opened up to Colossians chapter 1, as Carrie mentioned, it's also over our heads here as we read together. Colossians is towards the back end of your Bible, about three-quarters of the way back or so. If you hit Hebrews where Carrie was reading and go forward a little bit, you will run into Colossians. My guess is that all of you with me have had that experience of trying to speak of things uh, that are uh, beyond uh, words. They're indescribable, and yet we've been forced to actually have to say something about it. And then we kind of stumble around a little bit as we try to talk about something uh, that is beyond our words. I think, for instance, if my wife and my kids ask me to describe how much I love them, uh, I, you know, I just, I love, it's hard to articulate something uh, so, uh, so intimate in my heart and so overwhelming in, in my life. About, oh, a number of years ago, my wife and I took our 25th wedding anniversary and we went out to uh, Glacier National Park over in Montana. Uh, some of you might have been there and know that I have become a huge Glacier National Park evangelist. Uh, so I want to tell everybody how wonderful that is because we went there and it was just completely awe-inspiring. But the problem is that when I go to talk about it, I go, and, 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 and wow, and, and, and wow, and, and then you go here and it's wow, and everything is just wow, and, you, and, and I can't, it's so beyond speaking about that you can't wrap your, and being tongue-tied is not a great uh, trait for a preacher, by the way. It works against me sometimes. But you get such a, a fabulous picture in, before you, and you want to be able to, to articulate it so well, Paul has before him in this passage the cosmic, universal, supreme Christ. 
the Lord of the entire world, the infinite one. Now picture this for a second. This is something that we don't often process very much. But our God is infinite. Christ is infinite in every possible way. And no matter how brilliant you are, no matter how well your mind functions, your mind is finite. Into your finite mind, Paul is trying to pour this picture of an infinite God of Christ being so far beyond your imagining and your speaking. And it's absolutely, it's near impossible for Paul to put this into words, which is why the passage kind of reads like it does. You'll see that there's four different times, verse 15, verse 16, verse 17, uh, A, 17B, where the passage starts out with, He is, He is, He is. Uh, Paul's trying to capture this immense idea of who Christ is for us. Now, it's interesting to me that we've gotten through the introductions. Paul has introduced himself to the Colossian church. He's prayed for the Colossian church. He's thanks God for the Colossian church. And then he doesn't say, now I've heard that you've had this problem. Here comes my solution for you. He doesn't say that. He, we don't yet know what prompts Paul to write to Colossae. All we know is that we get to this spot in the text, and right after all the introduction stuff, the first thing that Paul does is say, look at Jesus Christ. He unmasks for us, not just the Christ that we want to understand and hold on to, but the Christ that is far surpassing everything we can possibly imagine. He holds forward for the Colossian people. He says, look, I don't care what's going on in your life? Here's the answer. I don't know the particular issue that's going on with you, but here's the answer. The answer is in the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Because of who Christ is, because of what Christ has done, and because of what Christ has done and who He is for us. Christ is sufficient for every possible thing that you come against. So what, Christ, what, what Paul is doing here is he's making a two-layered argument. We're going to walk our way through this a little bit. He starts by saying this. If Christ is supreme over everything, if Christ is what is really important in this world, then He is sufficient for every particular issue that you could possibly run up against. Every concern you have, every thought that you have, every issue that works in your life, if Christ is supreme over all things, then He is sufficient for you in that area as well. Look at how He begins. If you have your Bibles again, if you'll open them up, Colossians chapter 1, He begins in verse 15 with this statement, For He is, and this is Jesus Christ, there's no doubt about who the He is in this case, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Now, uh, uh, in our companion text, looking at Hebrews, we talked about Christ as the exact representation of, of Christ, There's a, of God the Father, and here we have that Christ is the image of the invisible God, and there's a lot of discussion about how that relates, how that talks about the doctrine of the Trinity, a lot of things in which we're not going to talk about. The key thing about this passage, what Paul is trying to get at, is that Christ is the image. He's the one you can see. He's the one which you can picture. Christ is the visual representation of something that's completely invisible. 
God is invisible. By definition, He is beyond our sight. And yet here we have Jesus Christ who is being defined by Paul as the visible God. Jesus Christ is the visible God. He's the one whom we can see and touch. In my uh, youth ministry days or campus ministry days, I remember being sitting in a, with a girl, a, co- a college student, down at the University of Pittsburgh, and this is not to malign University of Pittsburgh students or anything like that, but we get into a conversation. Of course, I'm a campus minister, so we start talking about God, and she says, well, I believe that God is a big cat. And I said, okay, God's like a big cat? No, God is a big cat. Like, God's like this big cat? Yes, God's a big cat. Like, with whiskers and things? Yes, God's a big cat. And I said, well, why, why in the world would you think God is a big cat? And she says, well, how do you know what God is like? How does every Christian know what God is like? Exactly. Completely. Totally. Because we have Jesus Christ. That's what that text means. That's what it means that Christ is the image of the invisible God. We can't see God. We don't know God. But we know God in His fullness and in His completeness in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. So when she says, how do you know what God is like? I say, I know exactly what God is like. We know exactly who He is and what He is, what, what God is and how God is for us and what it means that God operates within this world. Why? Because we have the complete and total image of God the Father in the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Then the passage goes on and says, the firstborn of all creation. Now whenever we hear the term firstborn, My guess is that almost all of us immediately start thinking about birth lineage, you know, birth order or something like that. You know, he's born first, he's born second. I'm a middle child, and many people describe that that explains a whole lot about me, being a middle child with all middle child syndrome, et cetera, et cetera. The image, the picture here that we can falsely come up with is the idea that Jesus was the one who was born first. That there was a time before Jesus was, and then he was born because that's what it means that he was born first, and then continues on. The rest of this passage makes it clear that nothing was without Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not just born. What does firstborn mean? Well, in the scriptures, firstborn doesn't reference primarily a birth order. What it represents is the head of the family. the, The firstborn is the one who is in charge. The firstborn is the one who is blessed. The firstborn is the one who is inheritor over all things. And so when this text says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation... What what Paul's trying to get at is to try to say, look, next of all of creation, in all of creation, Jesus is over and above it all. Jesus is the firstborn. He's He's the inheritor of it all. He's the source of it all. Everything comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the is the maximum here, is the supreme one. And that's what he traces out then in the rest of these verses. What does it mean that Jesus is supreme over all things? Take a look at verse 16 for a second. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Here, you, Paul trying desperately to get you to understand when the text refers to Jesus as the creator of all things. It doesn't mean that two gazillion years ago, Jesus said up you know, in heaven with the Father, says, hey, I know what, let's make the world, and he creates the world, and then the world there is, there's the world. Jesus is the creator of the world. That's specifically not what this text says. This text says that Jesus is the creator of all things. Thrones, dominions, powers, authorities, visible and invisible, everything that it... Do you love... That does not find itself in you. That finds itself in Christ. Do, do you have a job? Do you have a computer at home? Do you have a cell phone? Do you everything in this world? God makes. God is the one that's in charge of the. He, it's just not sovereign over these things like He's in charge of it. But according to this text, Jesus is the one, the power, the source through which all things exist. Your family your love life, the entertainment world, music, maybe not country music, but everything else. This is all this stuff that everything in this world is, is, control, is run, is created by Christ. The, the image that's trying to be put forward here by Paul is to try to think the image that you have of your God is simply too small. And, and to some extent, that's not your fault. You have a finite mind. You can't grasp the infinite. But Paul's trying to say here, you've got to get out of, your, out of the rut of thinking of your God simply too small, of Jesus is too... Jesus is the creator of everything. He is supreme over all things, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things. And by the way, if you read this passage again, we're not going to go over it, but listen to the constant repetition of all things, all things, all things. Um, Paul's got in mind here this universal picture. Now, just to hint at something here for a second, he's trying to talk universally because he's afraid that all of us will think of God too small. We will think of God as the religious part of our life. That God is the one, Jesus is the one that factors in when I'm talking about my salvation. That Jesus is the one that I'm concerned about when I'm talking about heaven. And Paul here is trying to say, no, Jesus is supreme over all things. He's got this cosmic vision, this all things imagery. For in him, sorry, all things were created through him. So look at that. All things were, nothing that exists today exists but by Christ. They were all created through him. But then the text moves on to say, they were all created for him. He is the goal. He is the purpose. He is the end of everything that exists. Why does music exist? For Christ. Why does your love exist? For Christ. Why does your job exist? Why does your computer exist? Why does your chair exist? Why does... For Christ, He is the focus and the goal and the intent of everything. We are so used to accepting something small as the gift from God. God gave me a wonderful, whatever, family. And I love my family and that's great. No, no. 
that's great. That's a wonderful thing that that's a gift for you. But it exists for him. It exists for his glory and for his righteousness. You're going to hear that a lot out of me. Um, This is my second sermon. I've already had somebody tell me that I've had one too many. Um, This is my second sermon here among uh, with you guys right now. And I have to tell you, you're going to hear that a lot from me. Because the temptation, the slide of sin, to just nudge the idea of our lives away from God and onto something else that is good, wonderful, and proper, but it is not the focus of Christ's goal in this world, Christ's goal in creation, His goal in your life, His goal in all things that we do is for His own glory. Written right there, the end of verse 16. Verse 17, And He is before all things, and in all things, everything holds together. In, he holds all things together. And once again, we have to fight against the natural tendency that I believe we have, and it's part of the scientific worldview in which we operate under, and that is that once something is made, it has an existence independent of me. I I was involved in the birth of my son, and now he exists independently of me. If I pass away, he continues on living. If I make a painting, I paint something, I leave the room, the painting still exists. That's what That is our common everyday experience, and that's specifically what the Scriptures indicate is not the reality of this world. This world is such where if God's hands are not every minute of every day holding every atom in its place, it would simply cease to exist. I talked with the uh, children's department here, Ellen, uh, uh, because I wanted a toy that I used to have with my kids. And it was a toy that when you push it all together, when you put your hands on it, it formed a nice little ball and everything was really nice. Does anybody have this toy at home? And then then when you let go of it, it it just popped. It's got some kind of a spring inside of it or something and it just flies apart. And the idea is that if you don't put your, keep your hands on it, it just flies apart. That's our world. That's your life. An incredibly strong understanding of God's providence. If it exists, His hands are on it. Now there's got to be somebody out there astute right, enough right now to be saying, there's a lot of things in life that I don't like. Are his hands on that? It's impossible to understand Paul's words any other way. All things hold together because of Jesus Christ. All things exist because of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, all things are for Jesus Christ. I've got to tell you, there's a whole lot of things that I'm not wild about in this world. There's a whole lot of things that happen in my life that I'm not wild about. And this is part of that cosmic picture of Christ. This, your God's too small picture, Henry. God just doesn't exist for you to make things nice for you. God ultimately exists for the glory of His kingdom, for the glory of His Son, Jesus Christ. And it is because of Jesus Christ then that all things exist, all things are. And that's a glorious thing for us. For we see in verse 18 
If you look in verse 18, the connection here is just not in all creation, but that Christ is the head of the body, the church. Not only does Christ, not, not only is Christ the creator of all things, but he's the head of the body. What's the head of the body? It's the source, the origin, the power of the body. Who's the body? We, the redeemed. Christ is the one who is the author and the perfecter, not just of the created world itself, but also of every part of our redemption. Everything that makes me really who I am, not just in creation, but ultimately in my fullness in redemption. That is because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of that. And a couple times Barrett has prayed this and sung this earlier today. Notice the last part of that verse. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. What does it mean that he's the firstborn among the dead? The firstborn is God's promise that there will be future borns. There will be future people born from the dead. There will be future people resurrected in Jesus Christ. Why do we know that to be true? Because He's the firstborn. Jesus is the first one resurrected with the promise that there will yet be many, many... Okay, so if Christ is this kind of supreme, the, the picture is to try to get Him so supreme in your mind that He's overwhelming you, then Paul moves on, verse 19 and 20, to say if Christ is this supreme then he has to be sufficient for everything in your life. If Christ is supreme over the financial world, then you cannot put your trust and dependence in anything else but in him. If Christ is supreme over your health, then you cannot put your trust and dependence in anything else but in Him. If Christ is the one who is supreme over the health and welfare of your family, then there is only one possible person who is sufficient who will care for anything. And anytime, now here's the point, anytime you allow anything else to creep in, anytime you allow anything else to say, well, maybe I need this, or maybe in addition, I know Christ is good for my salvation. I know Christ is good for my Sunday. I know Christ is good for my character and shaping me in who I want to be. But by golly, when it comes to blank, I need to look here. That's a horrid mistake. That's where we ultimately are denying that Christ is supreme over all things. If Christ is supreme over all things, then you need trust in only Christ. Now, what does that mean? I get sick, I go to the doctor. I appreciate the doctor. The doctor is a wonderful gift to me. But my trust and confidence is in Jesus Christ. Because only He is sufficient for me. I, I love my family and, and, and the comfort that that brings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if I trust in that comfort, if I trust in the entertainment that I have experience, or if I, if I depend upon anything, we sang a song earlier today, uh, right after the, oh boy, blanking, right after the confession. And Barrett, I love the song, keep singing it. What was it that we sang? What is it? 
Lord, I need you. Okay, great. Uh, Lord, I need you. Do you remember that? Everybody get the tune in your head. Fabulous song. We're going to keep right on singing. It is wonderful. It's got a line in there. And, and I love that song because it expresses that yearning that uh, we're falling all over ourselves, yearning for God. But it's got a line in it. Um, can I get that line in it? Uh, there's got a line in it that we sing, and this is going to work if it doesn't show up very quickly. Because Oh, there it is. When I cannot stand, I'll lean on you. Okay? Which sounds very romantic and very nice and completely wrong, right? It's not, I'll stand on my own except when I run out of steam and then I'll lean on Jesus. Jesus is sufficient and supreme for everything, every minute of your existence. We don't stand and then when we run out of steam, lean on Jesus. We lean on Jesus consistently, totally. Why? Because He is sufficient for all things. Take a look right at the end at how that sufficiency pans out for us. In verse, uh, 20, in verse 20. Uh, in Him is the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. So in Christ, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. And we find ourselves in Christ. Have you ever thought to yourself, gee, if only God would show up here, I'd know what to do. You are in Christ. The fullness of God is present there. You are present. The fullness of God is present with you always. Uh, We used to have this thing where my, uh, when our kids have nightmares, some of you guys have experienced this, I'm sure. If your kid ever has a nightmare, what's the solution for every parent? You go in, you kneel by the bed, you reach over, you hold your son, and you say, it's okay, dear, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And he's sitting there saying, but I'm being chased by this big monster. And somehow the comfort of just, I'm here. Jace, I'm here. You don't need to be scared. And that brings, it really does bring exactly the comfort that we want. Because Christ is supreme over everything, And because He is sufficient for you, there is not a minute of your day, there's not a second in your life where He is not saying to you constantly over and over again, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Verse 20. And through Him to reconcile... Jesus Christ is the fullness of of God... Uh, in him. And through him, through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things. God's the actor. God is the one who is doing the reconciling. He's the one who is acting here in this case. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Again, this overwhelming universal supremacy of his life. The cross of Jesus Christ. It doesn't save you just from your sins. Of course it does that. It doesn't simply pave the way so that you might get to heaven and have eternal life. Of course it does that. But according to this text, because Christ is supreme over all things, because of the blood shed on the cross for you, He is sufficient for you at every step in your life. There is no moment in your life. There's no experience you're going through. There's no possible event that could ever happen, that Christ is not supreme over. And because he's supreme over it, he is sufficient to take you exactly where 
he wants you to go for his glory and praise. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, uh, what, a, what a vision of your son, an overwhelming picture of Jesus Christ. Uh, and exactly, Lord, the picture that we need if we are going to embrace fully what it means that you are the sufficient one, that you reign over every moment of our lives. Lord, we desperately need that, and we need for you to work powerfully in our hearts, shaping and molding us so that we might be uh, faithful children of yours, leaning upon you every second of every day, we pray in your son's name. Amen.